Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher, addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship. My name is Dallas Montague. Today we have an amazing guest, and I really look forward to this interview today. He has a lot of things to bring, a lot of wisdom a huge background of experience, and what he's talking about today is just an incredible testimony. God met him and dramatically changed his life. If you guys have not subscribed to this show, please subscribe. Please be a part of it. This is our 50th episode of Faith and Family Fellowship, and it's been an amazing journey so far. I loved working with Chris. I loved working with this podcast and all the guests that we've had. Thank you so much for being a part of it with us. Thank you, listeners. And if you are new to this podcast, I encourage you to subscribe, and you will see more content coming your way. We have a lot of awesome interviews coming up. I want to give you guys an encouragement of Jesus sharing a parable. And it's talking about finding something worth selling everything else for. I'm going to read a verse for you out of Matthew 13, 44 through 46. And it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one very precious pearl, he went away and sold all that he had and bought it. And so I want to ask today, do you have something that's worth selling everything else for? This life that we get to live for Jesus can be like that. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth, but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. It's worth it. And there's another verse that says, Whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And I just want to give you guys that today, that it's worth it to serve God. Find something worth selling everything else for. And this life of Christianity can be that. That life that we're called to from God can look like that. But there's a couple things I want to mention that we need to do to live this life that God is calling us to. We must seek obedience first. Obedience is so important for God. Obedience is better than sacrifice is what it says. And humility is the key to do this. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. The message for the last days by K.J. Sowes explains the history and progression of end-time prophecies found within and outside of the Bible. It reveals the original message compared to changes in culture over time, leading to our vastly different interpretations. The future is revealed through understanding the past. Check out the book and audiobook at www.kjsoze.com. That's kjsoze.com. Or search for the title on all popular online bookstores. Are you looking for a podcast that discusses the Christian perspective through topics such as relationships, business, careers, and family life with a core biblical incorporation? 
Eddie Johnson, host of the Yo-Yo Podcast, has developed a podcast that glorifies God through his down-to-earth approach at Christian Life. Join him today at Yo-Yo the Podcast, available on all mainstreaming platforms. Randy, how are you today? I'm great, thanks, Dallas. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. It sounds like you're in California. It's probably beautiful weather today. Yes, you know, it, it supposedly never rains in California, but that's a, that's a misnomer. <laughs> it, 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 rained, it rained for about uh, five days straight. So, I, wow. you know, uh, we're, we're all sunshine now, though. That's good. You're here today with, to talk with us about your book that you wrote, Dying to Meet Jesus. Randy, you have a very interesting background. You are the author of six books, and you are also the chief learning officer of Paysetters. Can you just give our listeners a little information? What is Paysetters? Paysetters is a human development organization. So we have a number of people who uh, train and coach uh, organizations uh, throughout the world. We've had uh, people train companies like Johnson & Johnson, Google, Disney, wow. a number of different, uh, different companies. And we do um, coaching as well. So, wow. yeah. And that's also in California there? It is. We're based in California, but those uh, who are our uh, executive coaches and our uh, talent development and human development uh, trainers are situated in different parts of the world, you know, depending mm-hmm. upon uh, where the client might reside. Wow. And Randy, if I can have you take the next five to 10 minutes and just share your Christian testimony with us, and then we'll move into the book. Sure. Dallas, I was a devout agnostic. I was, um, for those who are familiar with the story of Saul before he came, became Paul, you know, Saul was a persecutor of, of uh, believers, uh, Christians. I don't think they were called Christians at the time. That was a term that was coined later. But he persecuted them to the point where he actually put to death a number of uh, Christians. Um, I didn't do that thankfully, but I had that same severity of mind and, uh, and dislike, one might even say hatred for, for Christians in particular. You know, they, I thought of them as hypocrites, as, mm-hmm. um, you know, people that, um, that really didn't walk the talk, if you will. And so, you know, I was an agnostic, and an agnostic is not an atheist, and that an agnostic is somebody who questions the existence of God, but leaves that question out there to be potentially solved. And so at Northwestern University, uh, I remember calling out to this unknown God saying that if you're out there, I need to know you as personally as I know my loved ones, my uh, friends, my parents, and so forth. And so, you know, that nothing really substantially happened after that, but I did form at Northwestern University with some graduate students and uh, others at the university um, who, and some technical specialists, IT specialists, uh, to try to invalidate all religions. So we had a computer system at Northwestern University at the time called Vogelback, which was the size of a building, a large building. And the brainiacs, meaning the IT people who really knew how to program the the system, the analytics, plugged in all of the data from ancient documents from all the different religions, the Torah um, and the the Buddhist um, origins and Hindu and of course Christian from the Old Testament and New Testament to look at the analytical uh, probability that they were either true or or not true. 
And we found, discovered through that process, and all of us were either atheists or agnostic, that uh, we could invalidate the other uh, religions besides Judeo-Christianity because they were A, either a fusion of beliefs, or B, they were created or founded by somebody who was saying or contending that they knew the truth or they had a revelation or so forth. And they really didn't have uh, a foundation beyond one single individual. The others had a fusion of beliefs where they basically, it was a potpourri of different uh, beliefs and gods and so forth that uh, formed their religion. So we invalidated each of them. And then we were left with this conundrum that, hey, we can't, we can't seem to invalidate Christianity. You know, it, we looked at, um, at errancies within the Bible we tried to uh, look at some inconsistencies in terms of comparing it to ancient documents. And we really delved into the weeds in terms of trying to come up with an answer. And our answer was that the probability of, of the Bible, the uh, scriptures being accurate, uh, that is portraying God, the God of, the, of Abraham and the God of Jesus Christ, was 1.26 million to one. Wow. Come on. Intellectually. <laughs> Intellectually, that really didn't uh, leave much doubt. However, spiritually speaking, and of course, God works uh, through a spiritual rebirth. I still was a, a devoted agnostic. And I'm sorry to stop you real quick, but do you yeah. know any of the probability of the others, just for an example, the Buddhism or the other religions, what their probability was? Well, the probability of those religions being true was in the reverse. So their probability, for example, and I won't, you know, need to go religion by religion, but the probability of all of those were in uh, the six figures to a million to one that they were not true. Uh, So we could invalidate each one of them. In fact, the probability of those being invalid was, was pretty conclusive. Uh, because if we we determined that if we could find errors um, that proved a consistency over uh, over 30 percent, that is that there were conflicts uh, from what was said uh, in the founder or the fusion of beliefs to either the practice or the application of it, or that you know what was taught was was not uh, correct in relationship to those documents or the documents themselves were not founded. In other words, uh, they were either related to some um, documents that that we uh, ascribe to other ancient literature, that is, they were copied, essentially, or these individuals that said these things, they they actually contradicted themselves. So in some total, uh, it was the complete opposite, if you were to look at the flip side of the probability of Christianity being correct. And I'm sure you'll get into it. But I also want to know, how did those other people react to that? The other people in the room that were other agnostics, other atheists, those things? Yeah, I think they were more open at that point than I was, because I was probably the most devout of the group against God in particular, and the believers um, even more so. And so they gradually wanted to know more and, and and learning more. And for me... I still felt that if I, I still felt that if I were to believe in a God, that it would have to be the God of Jesus Christ, because there's a scripture that we came across that said 
that uh, no one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And that was exclusive to the other religions. In other words, you could be um, a Buddhist and believe in Jesus Christ and the God that was referenced uh, you know, in the Old Testament by Jesus Christ as, as good, as valid. You know, and so they wouldn't refute it necessarily. Uh, you could be uh, Muslim or Islamic and believe in Jesus as a prophet, which they do. Uh, and a prophet, by definition, by their definition, was a truth teller. So, in other words, what Jesus said had to be the truth. And that in and of itself would invalidate much of what uh, the Quran was saying. So, those things, you know, from an intellectual point of view, really uh, open the other religions up to the possibility of developing that fusion of beliefs. In other words, taking, you know, a little bit of from each, but in the Judeo-Christian belief, uh, we determined, I determined that, you know, it was saying, you know, it's either you believe in Jesus Christ or you're not going to have a relationship with God, that he was exclusive and that no one could come to God except through Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ himself claimed to be God. You know, there were others, of course, in other religions that claimed to be God, but Jesus Christ claimed to be God, and he was exclusive in, in knowing God, um, unlike many of the other religions. So I knew that if I were to, I had to, you know, I had to adopt the uh, the God of Christianity. And But I, I did speak out to the unknown God, and I said, you know, okay, I, I can't invalidate you intellectually, but I still need to know you personally. And uh, that's when uh, I, I started working after grad school at, uh, at Procter & Gamble, which we finally called Procter & God, you know, P&G, Procter & God. And uh, I was uh, on my way to a meeting in the car, and somebody had jumped the barricade, hit my car. Wow. It flipped over, wrapped around a pole, just looked like uh, you know, something out of a trash comp compressor, you know, at the at the end of it. And I survived that accident and I suffered, you know, severe concussion and some other things. And it was from that point after surviving it and I and that I had this desire to learn more, really an earnest desire. And I felt like God had protected me that, you know, I didn't die in the accident, which I which I certainly should have. My head, you know, cracked the windshield and hmm. you know i wasn't wearing my seat belt um the the first responders you know looked at me as though they'd seen a ghost probably the holy ghost because i know god was protecting me and i believe it was because i earnestly wanted to know the truth yeah. um you know there's, there's a scripture the truth you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free and and I was seeking an earnest seeker of the truth. I really did want to that point to know the truth. And it was after the accident that that uh, I knew after the fact that the Holy Spirit was really drawing me in. I had this earnest desire to know more. I started reading scripture. I went, you know, to church, which was a miracle for me. I mean, that was commensurate with the parting of the waters in my world at the time. Uh, I thought I would never step in into inside a church. And then there was the proverbial altar call in that church. Um, I had been the, the coarsening of my soul was being softened. Uh, the layers of my hardness were peeling away gradually over, over time since the accident. And that's when I gave my, uh, life to Jesus Christ and I became a believer and I met him spiritually. Incredible testimony, Randy. Yeah, it was, um, thank you for sharing. Well, thank you, uh, for allowing me to share. 
and it was ironic, I think, in, in writing the book, Dying to Meet Jesus, because um, I thought I had the ultimate encounter with Jesus Christ. And uh, that was before I, before I clinically died. And, uh, and that was a whole different uh, experience. I have an interesting, maybe difficult question for you. But let's say that a person from a different religion asks you, how can you prove that God is real? Or maybe a different approach to the question is, how can you believe in Jesus Christ from what you were agnostic before? Yeah, I, I think the more, perhaps more valid question is, how can you stop at some point in seeking after that answer uh, without coming to the conclusion that you can never come to an, a determination, an absolute determination, that God is who he is? Because God, being who he is, is only God to the extent with which God becomes personal. In other words, I can know of I can know factually speaking that Abraham Lincoln existed or they, you know, they, that whomever um, in the course of history existed from the documents that are spoken. But I don't think that's how God wants us to relate. I believe God wants to relate personally, individually, of course, to, to, to that person. Where I think the, where I think in speaking to, when I've spoken to agnostics and atheists, I say, you know, it's basically agnosticism and atheism it's a denial of the intellect. In other words, I didn't have the faith to be an atheist mm -hmm. because an atheist says, you know, I am my own determinant. What I what I know is absolute. You know, everything that is that is uh, to be understood, I can assess and determine myself. And of course, that's a very haughty statement to be making. An agnostic says, you know, I'm going to leave that question open and I'm going to question more and more, perhaps, you know, and, you know, maybe I'll come to some conclusion, which is based on my own finite understanding. But as far as having a relationship, you know, I just, I want to play within my mind, you know, for now. I don't want to really go to the point where I can be vulnerable and surrendering myself to this unknown God. And, you know, at the point of surrender, where I think a lot of unbelievers have challenges is the pride that enters in that, you know, I don't have all the answers and neither can I ever have all the answers. And once that conclusion, you know, and I came to that, I thought, you know, I, you know, I have to graft onto something here. And it was that, that bridge of faith from saying, you know, I understand that I can't be my own God that the only way that I'm going to get to God is now surrendering and saying, you know, okay, I know Jesus Christ uh, raised from the dead. That was documented on several documents. Anyone that goes into it and looking at the papaya paper and other things, you know, has to come to that conclusion. So I knew intellectually that that was the case, but then I couldn't deny the reason for him doing it, the resurrection. I couldn't deny that. So the only thing I'd do um, would be to say, okay, you know, if that's what it takes, you said that you were the only way and that I had to be born again. Don't understand it, can't mm -hmm. comprehend it. You know, born once, like Nicodemus said, you know, how can I be born again? But okay, um, I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to surrender and I'm going to give up all the questions and the need to answer all of those questions, that is. And I'm going to just put it out there and say, okay, I'm going to abide by your rules, not mine. And you say that I need to surrender my heart. I want to know you. 
I sincerely want to know you and I know I've done bad things and I know that I can't merit, uh, you know, goodness because, you know, that's, I can't play God. I want to know God. And so that's when, uh, you know, the surrender comes into place and to play. I think intellect, there's so many pseudo intellectuals out there. I have been one of them that try to, um, you know, try to pretend that we can make the determination of whether there's a God or no God. Well, I think the only determination really is ultimately, do we have a relationship with him or not? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't have a relationship with him, then he's not God. He's not, certainly not God to us. And if we have a relationship with him like you and I have and others who are listening to your podcast, many of them, um, then it's an, then we know beyond a shadow of a doubt because he is as real to us um, in our spirit um, as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And for me, and you may say the same thing, Dallas, uh, he's more real, actually, than those some of those with whom at least I interface. I love to talk about these times of things. And you're taking me back to missionary training school where we were talking about this whole week was set aside to they started the week with the question, can you prove the existence of God? And we wrestled and wrestled and debated and talked about it and researched. You're taking me back to it. It's so good to, to talk about those things. And once again, thank you for sharing that. And I'm sure our listeners are blessed by that. You wrote this book, Dying to Meet Jesus, through this whole process of seeking the truth. And God found you definitely. And he reached out to you, picked you up as his son. Kind of how did that translate into this book, what you've created? Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I did the proverbial corporate route. You know, I worked for, I rose on the ladder, proverbial uh, corporate ladder, that is. <laughs> and then I, when I went through that and I was uh, a corporate operations director for a um, fast-growing pharma company, pharmaceutical, that is, um, I flew out to Washington. We were introducing uh, a, a new drug that would be a potential cure for Alzheimer's. We never say cure in the pharma world. We only say that it's um, you know, a therapy. But we really were seeing people essentially coming back to life. That is, they were catatonic in this drug, and the clinical trials was showing miraculous results to the point where we were on the front cover of Time Magazine. We were on CBS, wow. NBC, CNN, Fox News, all the major networks with the scientists explaining the results. It was amazing. And... Uh, you know, I have a, a team of people, and I came up with a slogan, Making Alzheimer's History. Then on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, there was an article um, that stated that our CFO was using off-balance accounting. Well, that's a legal way of accounting and buying other companies, which we were buying other companies. Um, but it made it sound like he was cooking the books. And shortly thereafter, also front page of the Wall Street Journal and other business uh, journals and, and publications and media came the results of the clinical trial and that uh, a few patients, uh, nine patients out of about 300 patients had developed encephalitis, which is a swelling of the brain. Man. And the FDA forced a recall of the drug. And it was a sad day, but nonetheless, I went from there to start a biotech company um, that biotech company, we had to raise about $80 million. And, you know, I, I um, essentially closed the biotech company or divested from it uh, because of the need to raise more and more cash for it. And I invested in a media company, uh, 
basically what was happening is, you know, this the stock from the pharmaceutical company went to a penny stock. Uh, the biotech company, you know, that didn't uh, didn't happen as I had expected it. And I invested in the media company, and that that uh, failed by virtue of our advertisers. I found had, had not been signed a contract, and so we lost many of those. And I remember sitting in the coffee shop, Christian Coffee House, with my wife, and I said, well, at least we have our health. You know, at least we've got that. And lo and behold, um, two weeks later, I was coming back on a flight, landed, and the next day, my leg had swelled to about a one and a half times its size. I could barely walk uh, from the kitchen to empty the the garbage on the the side of the house because I was so winded and I I could barely breathe and my breathing was becoming more taxed. And I having led clinical teams, I thought, well, you know, I should have known that this was different than just a muscle strain from having exercise because I went cycling up the coast. And it was it was different. It was the heaviness in the calf. So I we were planning a trip to the mountains with my family, long overdue trip, uh, and then I went to an orthopedic doctor to get a prescription for an anti-inflammatory and maybe some pain meds so I could go on the trip and I ended up uh, being rushed to the ER. Um, I essentially collapsed and I was put on a ventilator and what had happened from the ultrasound and the CAT scan, that is the x-ray, showed that I had multiple blood clots that had started in the calf called uh, DVTs, they were thromboses. They had traveled up the leg into uh, pulmonary artery, the main airway. And so I had six of these now blocking my airway. I couldn't breathe. And so at that point, the hospital staff or the doctors uh, wanted to transport me to uh, another hospital where our surgeon could crack the chest and pull out the clots. But by the time I got there, I would be dead. It just wasn't time for that. So the only thing we could do or they could do was uh, infuse oodles of anticoagulants, as uh, people call them blood thinners, uh, to try to stop the clots from growing. And the doctor came into my room and noticed some redness in my around my IV. And he said, you know, it's strange because I can't draw any blood from you. And the blood test, it showed that I had developed uh, a hospital-acquired infection, that is an infection through the IV needle, which was a type of MRSA, which is um, it's a, it's a bacterial drug-resistant pathogen. And at that, at that time, about 20% of patients died from this. So I had two things going on. I had blood clots, and, that was caused, and the infection was causing more blood clots throughout my entire body. And then I had the um, the sepsis was basically an infection throughout my entire body, and that was too much. So my body um, was convulsing at that point, and that's when I went into cardiac arrest from uh, septic shock. Hmm. And what had happened, that's kind of started dying to me, Jesus, <laughs> and that the story starts with that because of uh, clinically, clinically dying, I was in a black space at that point and a very ethereal space. You know, I wasn't, I was aware of my body, but I was rising and it was a bright light. I know that sounds cliche for some who have read about these ND stories, but by the way, I was 
as much of an agnostic about and the stories mm-hmm. as I was about being a Christian before I became became one. Um, and I didn't believe in them until I had my own. And so I was rising in the, the light was you know, about as bright or brighter than the sun, but it was comforting. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was blinding. And I was rising and I settled in this place and this body leaned into me and um, it was soft. The garment was soft. And then he wrapped his arm around my waist. And then um, I always get emotional. My wife tells me, I've got to stop doing this. Um, because it was so uh, amazing. He rested his face on me and um, we were cheek to cheek. And I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that this was Jesus Christ. And I was meeting him in this place, this beautiful place, this absolutely breathtaking place that was different than anything I had ever experienced, uh, a true paradise. It was as though... You know, I had been in a world where there was a veil um, and that veil had been lifted and all of the colors were brighter. There were shades of red I'd never seen. There were there were um, things growing. Um, Everything was alive. And uh, I saw people frolicking about uh, young and old. And the only thing I wanted to do was be with Jesus because I felt like his full attention was on me. I knew his full attention was on me. I didn't know how he did that because I knew the cares of the world were on his shoulders. And yet he looked at me like I was the only person in heaven and earth. And that's amazing to me. It's probably my biggest takeaway is the love of Jesus Christ, which is beyond anything. It's incomprehensible. Um, because we interpret love as an action or, or an emotion. And all of the poets throughout the ages have tried to write about love, but when meeting the person of love, that is Jesus Christ, it's absolutely overwhelming. I just caved down on my knees and just was, you know, in awe and just praising him, just praising him, my Lord, my God. And, and then came the most, the most disappointing words I had probably heard in, in my lifetime, which is you've got to go back. Mm-hmm. And um, I felt like a, a kid who had woken up on Christmas morning, you know, and, and was about to open up the presents and, and uh, you know, dreams were, were coming true and were, were true in the place I, in the place with Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden it was like my parents were saying, now you have to go back to your bed. You know, <laughs> so disappointing, absolutely crushing. And I, and, I, and I remember saying to, and I wrote this in the book, you know, why? Why, you know, I don't want to go back. And I, you know, I would worried about my wife and my children and what would happen to them in the hospital. And now I know all the cares of the world were taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. There were no cares and uh, no sufferings of any kind. And so I remember asking him that question. I remember his answer, which was that I would have to wait on him and I would have to be still with with him and I would have to walk and trust with him. And then my purpose would be be revealed one step at a time. And, um, And we spent time you know, uh, together 
in that place before I woke up and the acrid smell of the hospital room, the disinfectants just pierced my nostrils after these after the fragrances were were so striking and the beautiful uh, music and the my senses just had come alive in in paradise and heaven and now everything came back and I was in pain and suffering again. Wow. Wow. And you wrote all this in your book and probably more in depth, more detail, Dying to Meet Jesus. Yes, I did. I was I was interviewed on God TV for another book and I didn't share that for fourteen years. Hmm. And the person interviewing me on the on the T V show uh, for this other book asked me about it because he had known me previously. He was one of the handful of people I told this to. And that's when the cat was literally out of the bag. And then I felt the, the Lord speaking to me and saying, you know, I want you to, to begin writing. Well, I had authored several other books and articles. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll do another business book or something like that. So, And then I heard the Holy Spirit saying, no, I want you to write about brokenness. I want you to write about you know, trials and my joy and how you can find joy through trials. And so I started writing about that and and it was hard because I'd never done that before. And, you know, I tried, was trying to answer the question as to why God allows suffering. And then I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me that he wanted me to share my special time. So the book is not all about the near-death experience. That's really not, it's not like some of the other books out there. It really is about the love of Jesus Christ. It's about, you know, how our trials and brokenness can bring us closer to him and reveal a joy and a purpose beyond what we would have had otherwise. And so really, that's the gist of the book. And I do explain in further detail, certainly my my experience, um, you know, and my after after dying. But it's also, more importantly, I think, um, how we can better understand the love of God and how we can draw closer and how we can, you know, push through brokenness and even embrace brokenness as a means for becoming closer to God and for dealing with our trials, not through a perspective of of trying to um, overcome them, but to learn from them and to understand God's reason for allowing this to happen. Not a, Not wanting it to happen, not wanting suffering. I don't believe that. But knowing that in the sullied world that it happens invariably, Jesus told us as much. And so that's really what the book is about. And we're we're using it now. Um, it hit number one in the categories of grief, best-selling, or grief, suicide, and dying. Um, and when it, when it hit number one and number one bestseller, then we started... Um, we had been using it in the military um, and the veterans, you know, they had experienced, um, you know, hundreds of suicides and PTSD and veterans, of course, mental illness and so forth. And so we just gave them a bunch of books and they're using it now for for a lot of the uh, young people and the and the veterans to help them to cope and to you know gain the victory. Uh, through their through their own trials and sufferings and mental illness, because my my daughter's own mental illness and drug addiction that's in the book as well, and uh, so we went through all of those things. And so I have stories about other people besides myself. I have stories, you know, of people who have suffered horrendous, horrendous things that um, and how how God used that. If you could just put your finger on it, who do you think this book is written for? Well, I you know I I would say. Typically, you know, Christians, believers, but, you know, I talk about my agnosticism and the study at Northwestern. And so I, it's written 
from a Christian perspective, we have over a hundred scriptures in there um, to verify, you know, many of the uh, many of the statements and uh, assumptions made, or you know, proclamations, if you will. But also, I think somebody could read that who is kind of questioning God. You know, why? You know, and I think most people do. I think there are a lot of people like I have been who are more hopers than believers. You know, we may be born again. We may believe in Jesus Christ. But, you know, when push comes to shove, maybe we, you know, in in light of, for example, COVID-19, you know, there's a lot of fear. Um, You know, we may lose a loved one, cancer diagnosis or something, uh, a trial or travesty might, might occur. And so at that point, uh, the question almost invariably arises as to why God, you know, why? And so I think anyone that has questions as to why God, you know, God, a loving God, and the scriptures tell us that God is love, so he's consummate love. Why would God allow this? And, and why am I going through this? And why is this happening? Why is it a pandemic? And, you know, why did I lose a loved one? Why am I suffering from this illness? Why am I having a hard time? Why did I get fired You know, for my job? Why did I lose my job? All of those questions circling uh, for, the, for the believer and certainly for the unbeliever can just, just annihilate our, our faith, our relationship with Jesus Christ, because all of a sudden it, pay, it takes us back to this point of saying, you know, I, I really was hoping that I would have the strength through Christ to persevere, but, you know, this is too much for me. Or, you know, this has really set me back, and I just don't understand it. And I've got a lot of stories in there of people, including yours truly, um, you know, that, uh, and because I was the first time I, I confessed uh, to anyone, let alone writing in a book, that I had suffered from um, depression. I, nobody knew that I had suffered from depression except my wife and uh, maybe maybe my uh, children. Um but things like that, you know, transparency and vulnerability um, that others had shared with me, you know, what they went through in, uh, in succumbing to cancer or suffering from cancer, Lou Gehrig's disease, um, mental illness, schizophrenia, you know, and why? Why did that, why does it, why does it go on? So I think anybody that really goes through those questions, that has experienced a trial, which is probably, you know, 100%, close to 100%, um, the question is then COVID-19, why is God allowing this to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it may be, you know, is God real? You know, I think that's a valid question for anyone who doesn't have that personal relationship, especially um, a God who would allow these things to happen. Or we know from a Christian perspective or that God uses that. Mm-hmm. And something, uh, you know, I deduce from the research with all these people in it, was validated through my own experience is that the closest believers, those who had the strongest, strongest relationship with Jesus Christ that I had experienced through this, uh, through, you know, through a number of these people who had shared with me, um, the closest people to God were those who had experienced the most, most brokenness. Hmm. And I found that, you know, anomaly to be very telling in that it drew, there were two ways that people could respond to brokenness. They could either run away from God, that is, doubt him, question, um, just, you know, fall into misery. And there were those who could run to God and seek after him. And those are the ones 
that developed a closeness with Jesus Christ, as I did through through dying, um, that that's unparalleled and mm. and just beyond beyond words. Well, you definitely have a, an amazing testimony, a unique story. Not a lot of people can share a story like this, but it's incredible. Thank you for sharing it. It's an absolute honor to have you on the podcast with us. Well, thanks for having me, Dallas, and uh, and God bless you and uh, and your audience. Thank you. And just one more question for you. Do you have any more plans for the future? You said that you've wrote several books now. Do you have anything on the agenda for the future? Yes. we um, The project with the, uh, the military and working with um, various people who are going through uh, challenges in their life groups, uh, we created a, a ministry called Abundant Life, which is a virtual ministry now. Um, and randyk.org is where we have those postings and then um and then i'm so that's the the ministry and that was birthed off of dying to meet jesus and then also um i'm writing a book that's somewhat similar but it's tailored to you know finding your purpose because that's why i return and i i know that's the reason each of us you know lives and breathes breathes on this earth and i i also know um and believe my in my heart of hearts that we're that only God will determine when that day is that we go to heaven and stay there mm-hmm. and uh and so all the fears of death and suffering and all of those things uh you know that's our appointed hour is is by God alone and that uh so I wanted to write about you know finding your purpose and and all of those good things in the next book. Well, thanks again. And guys, this book is available at Amazon. It's in the link below. You guys can click on that. And also, if you want to take a look at his other books that he's written, you can visit randykauthor.com. Is that still an active link for you? It is, yes. Awesome. Sounds great. And to end the podcast, would you be able to pray us out, Randy? That would be amazing. Oh, it would be my pleasure, my honor. Dear Lord, uh, I pray now for those who are listening. I pray for my brother Dallas. I pray for those who listen to this podcast that you would impress upon each one the love that you have, the singular purpose that you planted within each one, and the consuming love that is specific and wholly dedicated to the person listening right now. Give that person, give those who are listening and each person uh, a revelation of that love in a profound way that there will be nothing no challenge nothing that can come between us and you by virtue of our understanding and revelation of your infinite consuming and and focused love and attention on us because Father God, you love our listening audience beyond all measure, and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over each one in the podcast that um, that you would just release your blessings and and allow those who are maybe going through some hard 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 stuff, hard things, and fears to be assuaged by your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. 
with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.